Think for a moment, if you will, what happened to King David? Man after God's own heart. Wonderful guy, amazing guy, man of faith, courage. A man after God's own heart. And yet, we know that he made some horrendous choices and some very destructive outcomes as a result of that. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, we know this, that it all started when instead of being out in the battlefield with his troops, he decided to just hang out And that's when uh, temptation overtook him. I want to suggest to you that his priorities got out of whack. It's not wrong to take a break. It's not. But um, obviously that was a very drastic consequence that he took that time and was just being idle. What happened to King Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, blessed of God? Remember, he had that incredible thing, almost genie in the bottle, only better because it was God. God says, what, what do you want when he become king? And, and, he, and he had the wisdom at that point to say, not wealth and stuff, but I want wisdom for leading the people. God blessed him. Incredible wealth, incredible wisdom. But what happened to Solomon? He finished horrendous. Married hundreds of women, including ones from other nations, who led him astray. And um, a, a really horrendous story in the end for him as well. I look at my own life and uh, have had times of great uh, joy and productiveness, fruitfulness. I told you at the start of the summer that I had the privilege of, of being under D for a little bit before I really began ministry back in 1990. Um, and it was in that time that I learned principles of discipleship. And it shaped how I took off as a young pastor and I saw such productive times because I was, that was a priority for me to make sure that whatever, wherever I went, wherever I pastored, that I focused and helped the people that I got to lead to focus on basic personal disciplines, being in the word, being in prayer, being faithful, learning uh, to find your gift and use your gift, serving in the, in the body and so on. All these little things, but they become crucial in our lives. Over time and over a number of different events, I lost sight of that really clear focus. I pastored a couple places, and it's not their fault, but the folks that I I went to pastor to, I tried to introduce uh, disciplines and 
memorizing scripture and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, we're not really interested in that. We want you to preach and sing. And uh, we'll, we'll decide on the other stuff. <laughs> and I was, I was aghast. I thought they had asked me to come and lead. And being young and immature, I didn't handle the whole thing very well at all. In the process of that and other things in life, I, I lost sight of my of priorities in my own life, of the things that were crucial for me to stay right on track. I think you've all seen the example. If you start right here at this pulpit and draw a straight line to the moon, if you're off just a millimeter here. By the time you get there, you're, you're off in space. How we choose what we aim at, what we are trying to accomplish, what is a priority in our life is crucial. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, and it's not in the... Uh, I added these, Katie, so excuse me for a minute here. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. How many of you would agree that right now the days are evil? Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre. It is absolutely wild. It's just like the word says. It's just like Romans says, where they will call evil good and good evil. That's where we're at. It's pretty stunning. It's pretty uh it should make us pause. And then just after this in Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter six, verses ten to thirteen, a very familiar passage. Why does he need to write this? It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Why is this in the Word of God? It's in the Word of God because we're at war. If you are a saint, if you are a follower of Christ, you're at war. I'm afraid that a lot of people live as if that's not the case. They just blindly go through life and they're not real careful and they don't uh, stand guard. They don't put on the armor every day. And again, I know that from experience in that time period. uh, Had moments when I'd get really back on track, really focused, but then other times where I just lost that precise understanding of the priorities of life that I needed in order to stay as healthy as possible and be as effective as possible for the kingdom, which is the desire of my heart. I long to honor God with all my heart. But I came to the place 12 years ago 
that I had to, I had to step out of ministry. I didn't have a great moral failing. I had an emotional failing, but the emotional failing was because my priorities had slipped and I wasn't being careful enough in seeking him with all my heart. This evening we're going to talk about priorities of a saint. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Let's... uh, You're welcome to read this with me, by the way, if you want to out loud, or you can just listen. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." I missed out a lot in the last 12 years. I had a lot of recovering to do. I had a lot of spiritual refocusing that needed to happen. But God is so faithful and he's so good. And he's so patient. And I'm excited to be back online and to be back in service for his name's sake. But all of us as saints desperately need to understand that our priorities must be. They must be right. We must take careful account of where we are, what we are doing, how we are choosing to spend our time and our resources. Number one, saints willingly sacrifice anything and everything in order to gain Christ. Verse 7 again says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And we know Paul had a whole list of things that he could have been very proud of. In, in worldliness, he would have been proud of. He was a, a Jew, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was... This amazing scholar and and learned man, he was very righteous. He was so passionate about the Jewish faith that he was slaughtering Christians. But he says there in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, I count them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Jesus gave a couple of his parables in Matthew 13 couple of very short but precise parables. Verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, 
And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, did Jesus tell these little stories just in case somebody that uh, would read one day that was a big fan of pearls would learn something from it? No, he's, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about knowing him. And he's suggesting, if you really want to find the truest of riches, if you want to find the highest, the greatest, you will sacrifice anything and everything to know me. That's pretty serious stuff right there. I want to ask you, how valuable is your relationship with Jesus Christ? How valuable is your relationship with, with Jesus? How much are you investing into your relationship with him? Are you treating that relationship as if it's the greatest value of anything that you will ever find? Are you willingly sacrificing much of anything for the sake of that relationship? I know many of you are. Keep it up. Keep it up. Others of us, we get distracted. And we start having a competition in our life for our time and for our passion. And it's a very, very dangerous game to play. Paul was willing to sacrifice everything. That's why he was so useful to the kingdom, why we're still talking about him today. He counted all things as loss in comparison to knowing Christ. Number two, saints value knowing Christ Jesus our Lord above all. They value knowing him. Philippians 3.8 says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I want you to notice there it doesn't say knowing about Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. There are people who study the word of God who know a lot about the word of God and know a lot about Jesus Christ who still don't really know him. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. 
Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And then John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word that it is used here for know is the same word that is used in, was used in their culture to speak of the knowing that would happen between a young bride and groom. Remember, there's places where it says, uh, Mary has not known a man. It's talking about physical intimacy. It's about the closest relationship that possibly can be. And obviously, we're not talking about uh, physical things here. But it does point to the deepness, the special nature of the relationship that we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ, of knowing him above all else, knowing his incredible agape love for us, knowing his great mercy and loving kindness. Second Peter 1, 2, and 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? How is grace and peace multiplied to us? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. My heart aches when I meet somebody that they, they know Christ, or they are a Christian, they claim to be a Christian, but there's not a lot of peace in their life. And I'm, I'm not saying that to ball out anybody that's there, but to encourage you, if you're lacking peace, seek him more. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You know, there's only one way to know someone, you must spend time with them. Again, you can know about somebody by reading about them. I've read all about General Sherman, William Tecumseh Sherman from the Civil War. Just was curious. I think possibly I'm related to the guy somehow, probably very distant, but I was a big Civil War buff when I was younger, did a lot of reading, and I wanted to know about William Tecumseh Sherman. I know a lot of details about his life, but I've never met the guy. 
and I really don't know him. Jesus, on the other hand, I'm learning to know more and more about him because I'm reading all that I can about him. In fact, I'm memorizing what I can about him and his word. But I'm also spending time with him. I'm setting aside time and I'm talking to him about life. Even as I drive around and deliver mail, I'm talking to him about life. I'm listening to sermons that speak of his his greatness and his glory and his goodness. I'm meditating on his word as I, as I work at memorizing it. But I'm also talking to him when my heart is aching about something, when I'm confused about something, when I'm disturbed about something, when I'm questioning. I bow before him. I worship him and then I talk to him about it. And the more I do this, the more I know him. And the less shaken I become. Praise him. How has God chosen to reveal himself to us? Well, he he revealed God to us by coming and walking on the earth. And then we, we have the written record of those who observed all that he said and did. We get to know Jesus through his word a great deal. And my question for you is how much of a priority are you making the word of God? And I want to plead with you as your brother and do whatever it takes to make that a priority. Fight for that priority. Because sure as can be, the enemy will do everything he can to stop you from spending time in the Word of God. It's amazing the things that will come up. It's amazing the things he will put into your mind as you're about to sit down or as you do sit down and open the Word of God and try and seek him. I've learned to do this. If I'm struggling, if I'm sitting down, uh, the first thing that I do actually is I worship. And this is really helpful, folks, and I want to encourage you to do that. And you don't have to sing pretty to do this. You just have to, from your heart, make a joyful noise to him. Recite the great things that he has done in your life. Recite his greatness, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his unchangeableness speak those things talk about those things one thing that that does I've noticed if I stop and worship as I'm attempting to spend time in the word if, if I don't do that I notice that I'm bombarded with thoughts and disruptions and stuff when I worship I think the enemy really doesn't like to be around that And he moves off. He steps aside. And the way is much more clear for me to enter in to study of the word. I want to encourage you. You know, in the Old Testament, in Psalms, we're told to enter his gates. How? With thanksgiving in our hearts. And enter his courts 
How? With praise. That's getting closer and closer to the Holy of Holies. We start out with thanksgiving. I would encourage you even any time that you sit down to pray, don't just go to God as a vending machine. Don't just say, God, I want this, I want this, I want... Who does that? That's a child does that. And it's okay, but hopefully as we grow up, we go to him not just and, and not just see him as somebody who will give me something. But hopefully we grow to the point that we know, oh, he's awesome. And he's already been so good to me. As I approach him, I'm going to approach him with thanksgiving. I'm going to approach him with praise. And I think you will be amazed, if you're not already doing that, how much more productive that time that you set aside to be with him will be. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But take that time, make that time, fight for that time to be with him, to know him. This should be the highest of priorities for any saint. Number three, and we talked about this last week, but we're talking about it again because Paul brings it up again. And if you'll notice throughout his letters, he talks about this issue over and over and over. Now, obviously, it was a big issue for the people back then, but I think it becomes an issue for us as well. Number three, saints, in order to be found in Christ, depend on faith instead of legalism. We must keep this straight. We must keep this a priority. We must not let the enemy get us caught up in trying to impress God and becoming prideful in doing deeds. Is it good to be obedient? Absolutely. It's foolish to not be obedient. But we are only obedient as he makes us able to be. And we're never saved by that obedience, are we? We are saved by grace through faith. Romans three nineteen and 20 says, For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 says, But by doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. We must always remember this. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts, boast in the Lord. Saints recognize that they cannot know him through religious activities and accomplishment. Again, it's really important to serve. It's really valuable to obey. But we don't receive salvation by those religious activities and accomplishments. Legalism can be equated with religion. And we are shooting, we are making the priority relationship with Christ, 
not just religious activity. And there's a huge difference. Huge difference. You will find that religion without relationship will either make you proud and arrogant or it will reduce you to despair. Let me repeat that. Religion without relationship with Christ will either make you proud and arrogant or it will reduce you to despair. Number four, saints prioritize his resurrection power in their life. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection power. Romans 6, 4 to 7 says, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. We reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Amen? We believe that even as we choose to identify with him, that's what the whole beauty of baptism is. We're put under, but we're raised back up. And it's symbolic of what has happened in our lives. We are dying to our old self. We are raising in Christ Jesus. And his resurrection power is available. And that which is impossible for you to overcome, the sin nature, the habits, the weaknesses, the failures, those things that are impossible for you to overcome on your own, are more than possible through him who loved us and through his resurrection power. If you're struggling tonight with some kind of a sin that you've struggled with over and over, you love Jesus and you're trying, but it keeps... Please, brothers and sisters, don't give up. His resurrection power is available. It's a matter of taking hold. It's a matter of applying these principles and making different priorities and trusting in his resurrection power to enable you. Later in Philippians, at chapter 4, verse 13, it says that wonderful verse that we all love, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Saints find hope in the power of his resurrection, knowing that that same power is at work in us to redeem, to transform, and even to bring us home to glory. All that, he says, is his work. It's his work. Now, it's important for us to cooperate with it. But he's the one that's going to bring us home. He's the one who called us. He's the one who redeemed us. He's the one who sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And he will glorify us if we remain in him. 
Here's the key, though. Saints, we must stay plugged into the power source. We must stay plugged into the power source, and that is Jesus. John 15, I didn't have this written down either, Katie, so I'll just read it. Love this passage, John 15, 4 to 11. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I remember when I was young, passionately wanting to be a godly man, passionately wanting to be, knowing that he had called me into the pastorate, but knowing that I had some pretty ugly things that I was dealing with and trying to overcome. I wanted so much to be a holy man, a godly man. But I, I kept finding myself failing. And then I'd read this passage and it was, oh yeah, I'm not really abiding in him. I'm not making that time, taking that time, being so careful to seek him and know him so that I have a chance at getting past these things. This is it. It's, it's work. But the one who truly wants to follow God and obey God and honor God must abide with God. You won't be able to be like Jesus if you're not with Jesus. Amen? It's, it's really simple, but it's the battle of life. Because again, the enemy will try so hard to get you distracted doing other things. They might even be good activities, but they're less than the awesome activity of seeking and knowing him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know the beauty of that? Some people misunderstand this passage and they only take that one line, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ah, that sounds great. I should be able to ask anything and God's going to do it, right? You're not reading the whole thing there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish. You see, here's the deal. A man or a woman who's not abiding in Christ will ask for selfish, silly things. And we know elsewhere in the word that he says, I'm not going to give you because you're asking out of selfish motives. The man, the woman who makes the priority to abide in Christ and in his word, he will be changed so that the things that he asks are going to be in accord with the word of God. And so God can answer those requests. I know it's a beautiful thing for me to sit down and prepare a sermon now. I have this confidence. If you lack wisdom, ask and he'll give it. I do that on a regular basis, especially as I preach, because I approach the word and I want so much for it to be a valuable time when I come and speak to you. I don't want to impress you. I want you to hear the word of God. 
I want you to be impressed with the truth. So I need wisdom and I need his guidance for it. And so I plead with him for that. The cool thing is, that's a prayer that I know he's going to want to answer. Because he wants to do that even more than I want it to happen. Isn't that cool? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. Just as, the Father, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Do you hear that? He wants to hang out with you. The king of glory wants to hang out with us. It's astounding. And yet we take that for granted and, and get up and, oh, we've got so much to do that we, we pass by the request of the king of glory to take a few minutes and let him speak into our lives. That's insanity. Do you see what I'm saying? It's insanity for us to not take that time. God is requesting your presence. Most of us would drop everything. Now, not the, not the present president. But if George Washington were here... And he requested to spend time with me. I, I'd quit my job for that opportunity. I'd love to sit down with George. Great man of character. Oh, that would be awesome. Listen, every day, God is inviting you to his table to sit and to receive his counsel to receive his reminders of his great promises, his love. To be strengthened, fortified for the challenges that you're going to face that day. Don't let the enemy take you away from that. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Number five, saints are willing to endure suffering with him. I'm running late here. I'll, I'll be quick. Philippians three ten and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then Romans 8, 15 to 18 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, 
so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Mm-hmm. And then 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How? In his presence. For momentary light affliction is producing for us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, brother and sister, the enemy is going to try and use painful, difficult things in your life to cause you to despair, to cause you to doubt. Those who suffer and hang on to Christ, they will be rewarded. It's important to remember that our suffering is temporary and glory awaits. And Christ is with us in the midst of our suffering. Hmm. Well, number six says that saints embrace conformity to his death. And I touched on that briefly in, uh, already in the resurrection. We must die to ourselves. And it's a, it should be a priority for us. And it's going to happen in that time where we are with him, getting to know him in his word. Colossians 3, 1 to 5, I'll jump to that, Katie. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Die to those things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. How are we supposed to look at sinful things and our old life as if it's dead? Not just sick. Don't give it a chance to live. Consider it dead. Hmm. Then I'm going to jump to number seven. Number seven, saints long for the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3.11 says, In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of, By Christ Jesus. We don't think nearly enough about the future. We really don't. Um, It's unknown to us, so it's a little bit uh, awkward to think about heaven. We can only guess. Yet he's given us enough promises and we know enough just from what he has revealed. It's going to be awesome. And I think it would do us great encouragement to think more about heaven and about what's coming. It would also help us to keep our priorities straight. Romans 8, 18 to 21 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Let me close with this little passage then out of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Oh, I'm ready for that new body. I'm ready to not have to be at battle continually. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Take time. Get those priorities straight in your heart and your mind. It's worth it to fight the good fight. It's worth it to make him the absolute priority, knowing him, seeking him. Lord Jesus, I bow before you and uh, feel so inadequate for the, the glory that is your word, your truth, the beautiful riches of your word, the crucial nature of understanding what is ours in you and how important it is for us to seek you with our whole heart. Jesus, I pray that somehow through my rambling and my sermon here tonight, that your spirit would have spoken to my brothers and sisters and called them again. Come unto me. Come unto me, you who are weary. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is light. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Mm. We worship you, Jesus. Continue to draw us, continue to transform us. And may your name be honored and glorified forever and ever. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.